Disclaimer, I am not a licensed therapist, counselor, or professional broadcaster. The following are stories from my life and personal experiences and are the property of me. There will be profanity, quite a fucking bit of it, so please keep that in mind along with adult topics and themes. Listener discretion is advised. I've always wanted to say that. Hi, and welcome to Here She Comes, Confessions of a Retired Vibrator Seller. I'm your host, Jasmine Aziz. On the last episode, you may recall that I had just completed a party for a group of very young ladies. The night, while low in sales, had me quite rattled. I was beginning to feel uneasy about making the big move to Toronto with Lammy, and tension was rising at home as I began to make my move to leave the city. My mother wasn't happy about me moving in with Lammy, and if anyone knows me, they know how much I love my mother. So... Seeing her unhappy was tearing me up inside, but I had to stick to my plan. I looked to Lammy for reassurances. When those fell short, I buried myself into the last few parties I had booked. It was a party for a woman at least three times the age of the teenagers that deeply impacted me, but for very, very different reasons. Marla sounded especially perky on the phone when I called to confirm the time of the presentation and the place. Her house wasn't far from where I lived. I estimated it was only a 10-minute drive. I wouldn't leave suburbia for this one. I drove into the only parking spot left for blocks, the one in her driveway. The front door of her home was wide open. There was no escape from the late summer heat. Marla clearly didn't have air conditioning as every window and door in her home was open and a few freestanding fans were blowing curtains in and out like inflating and deflating lungs. Are you Debbie? A middle-aged woman wearing a bright turquoise scarf around her neck asked. No, I'm Jasmine. I'm the consultant. She's here! She screamed. There was a moment of silence and a slightly rounded woman with auburn hair ran out of the kitchen, clutching at her apron, rushing towards me. We are so excited, Jasmine. Come in. I've already got your table ready. I recognized her voice as Marla's. She had placed a long six-foot table against a wall and covered it with a red silk scarf. I saw square bulges under the fabric. What's under there? Boxes. I find levels help in the presentation. Are you a consultant too? No, no. Let me know if you need anything, okay? She patted me on the behind and rushed toward the kitchen, retying her apron as she hustled past me. I dragged the bags in by myself and set up my display utilizing the different boxes under the fabric. I stood back and admired the table. Hmm, Marla was right. Levels helped. Within 20 minutes of arriving, I had set up my table, put my extra stock in Marla's bedroom, which would serve as a sales room, and had handed out the paper order forms to everyone. 
almost 90 parties in, and I had my setup down to a science. Has anyone here been to a party like this before? Every hand in the room went up in the air. I see. It was my first time doing a party for a room full of people that had all been to a presentation before. I started to get inexplicably nervous. I had become adept at figuring out which customers were more likely to buy something from the way they took the order form and penis pencil from my hand. This party had a total of 11 women, all in their late 40s to early 50s. They all had mom bags, oversized purses, stuffed with everything from lipstick to tissues to a spare change of clothes. I was probably only eight or nine years younger than the youngest one in the room, but for some reason, I felt like an insecure child in front of them. I don't do parties like anyone else you've seen, I warned them. Yes, that's what I told them already, Jazzy, Marla said and smiled. I had met her at a party I did for a friend when I first started. Back then, I was still very fresh and made a lot of product number mistakes and stumbled through portions of the presentation. Marla had been emailing me to have a party for almost eight months since that day, but nothing had gelled until that night. Tell them about your lammy, Jazzy. Oh, no, wait. Are you still with him? Did I talk about him that much? I had no recollection of mentioning him at the party when I first met Marla. I am still with him. I mean, we are still together. He's moved to Toronto, actually, from Montreal. We're now doing longer distance. A bottle of red wine started to make the rounds between the women. I'm thinking of moving there. In fact, we're selling the house that I grew up in, and I should be there by November. They stared at me. I felt like I had just told them a joke with no punchline. I cleared my throat and rambled through the lingerie. If I had a figure like yours, the lady with the turquoise scarf said, I would wear that too. It's not about what size you are, I started. It's about your confidence. That's what they really see. I knew in my heart that I didn't believe what I had just said. With my body becoming tauter and more toned, you would think my confidence levels would rise. The truth is, as I continued to lose weight, my self-esteem also dropped. The compliments I got from Lammy when we first started dating had dramatically decreased as the months passed, which made no sense to me. He used to tell me how beautiful I was or he would just openly stare at me. But then it became the occasional passive-aggressive comment about my clothing choices. For the most part, I didn't change at all in those first few months. It wasn't until our first of three breakups that I began to make physical and spiritual changes. We broke up over the winter for a short period of time because my family's disapproval of him was truly starting to get to me. They didn't see him making as much of an effort with me as they thought he should be. When I asked him one night if he was ever going to try to get a job in Ottawa so we could be together, he responded by saying the one phrase that would send our relationship reeling downward. The chance of that happening is slim to none. Slim to none. I was so devastated that I gathered my things, barely secured my shoes to my feet, and fled from his apartment. I wept solidly for the entire two-hour drive back to Ottawa. He called me later that night to tell me that when I left him, a part of him died. When I told him that made no sense, he got very quiet. I ranted about how he didn't really love me and that if he did, he would have made more of an effort to find work in my city. 
That's when he repeated that the chance of that happening was slim to none again. I burst out crying. He tried to soothe me over the phone and explained that what he was trying to say was that his line of work offered a slim to no chance of employment in the nation's capital. I understood it to mean that he believed there was little to no chance we would ever end up together. Was it a simple misunderstanding? Was our poor communication to blame? Was my hysterical refusal to accept his explanation part of the issue? Or was the pressure my family was putting on me to face the writing on the wall finally getting the better of me? Whatever the reason, the first of many threads that bound us together began to loosen and unravel. I should have seen the signs, but a fool in love is still mostly just a fool. My sister and brother-in-law had received their first posting as diplomats and were scheduled to leave for India when at the last minute she asked me to throw together a going-away party for her. Lammy drove down from Montreal and helped me with the heavy lifting of tables and chairs. I had, at the very last minute, managed to find a caterer and some extra furniture since most of my sister's stuff was packed. I taped some old Indian saris to the walls to help create the theme and invited about 60 people thinking that only 10 would show up. They all came. Listen, Lammy, my ex-best friend is going to be here tonight with her husband. It's really important that you fawn all over me, okay? What do you mean? I mean, make sure when she shows up that you are gushing all over me and you can't get enough of me, okay? He looked confused. It's a girl thing, okay? Just do it. I'll point her out when she gets here. I had chosen an outfit to wear that I thought would look sexy on me. I wanted her to see me as a blazing hot diva now, not that square, innocent version that she knew before our friendship ended. As it turned out, the top I had planned to wear had shrunk and it made my stomach look doughier than I wanted. I ran up the street to find something else to wear since the clothes in my own store felt too hippie for me and I wanted to wear something that screamed sex appeal. I found a beige dress with big red flowers on it that fit nicely. I brought it back to the store and changed into it. The dress was so sheer that I had to take off my green panties and only leave my bra on. As the first guests started coming to the party, I whispered in Lammy's ear, Do you like my dress? He looked down at me and nodded. He seemed nonplussed. I'm not wearing any panties. I couldn't, because they showed right through the fabric. He stopped chewing the samosa in his hand and looked at me with an expression I had never seen before. I wrote you a poem, you know. Odd reaction to hearing that I'm not wearing any underwear, I thought. Oh, how does it go? I said in a mocking tone. There once was a girl from Go Fuck It? It's a real poem, he snapped. I was surprised by his reaction. I left his side and greeted the next round of guests. When my ex-best friend finally showed up, I pointed her out to Lammy. He had been moving around the room all night without really talking to anyone in particular. He had the gait of a panther and was surprisingly light on his feet. He could move from one spot to another and despite his enormous size, you wouldn't notice him until he was right in front of you. After she and her husband settled in and got their food, I looked for Lammy, hoping the fawn fest would start soon. He was nowhere to be found. I moved from room to room and finally found him merrily chatting with a pretty young blonde on the balcony of the apartment. Are you coming in, dear? I asked. Yeah, soon. He didn't take his eyes off the blonde. 
For the duration of the time my ex-best friend was there, Naomi stayed on the balcony, never making an entrance into the living room even once. The night progressed, and people arrived in pockets of small groups. Toward the end of the night, a friend of mine named Anish showed up. Anish was always funny. I had found him to be on many occasions nothing short of hilarious. By the time he showed up, I was tired from running after guests and cleaning up. I sat down on the folding chair next to him and relaxed. Anish was in fine form. He poked fun at my sister, at my brother-in-law, and at India. I laughed, not just from fatigue, but also from his genuinely funny comments. I looked over at Lammy at one point and saw him staring at me in a way I had never seen before. Do you want to talk to me or something? I asked. He very slowly shook his head. I was too tired to care what was going on in his mind and still angry that my dream of sticking it to my ex-best friend had gone to waste. I lay my head back against the wall and only lifted it intermittently to laugh at Anisha's jokes. When the party had finally wrapped up, it was well past midnight. Lammy drove my mother home first and then returned and picked me up. On the drive home, I asked him if something was bothering him. I got only one-word answers, so I dropped the subject. The heat from his anger was radiating off of him like a wave. We got into bed to sleep. He lay like a heavy stone next to me. Look, Lammy, I might not know much about relationships, but I'm pretty sure communication is important. I think you have to tell me if something is bothering you. His expression didn't change. Suit yourself. I'm going to sleep. Good night. I rolled away from him, and after a few long inhales, I heard him say, For 74 minutes, you didn't look at me. I blinked hard a few times before turning around to face him. What did you say? For 74 minutes, you didn't look at me. You timed me? I didn't mean to. The anger of his tone had sharply retracted. He only sounded defensive and unsure. I can't believe you fucking timed me. And what the hell does that mean anyway? Of course I looked at you. I asked you what was bothering you, remember? You didn't look at me he said flatly. I sighed. I sighed heavily. I started to feel tears stinging my eyes. What was I doing with him? Why was everything so hard? You were on the goddamn balcony talking to Sandy the entire time my ex-best friend was there. You don't see me yelling at you about that, do you? The truth is, it felt good to throw that in his face. I had told myself I wouldn't do it, but in light of his stopwatch remarks, I felt justified. He pulled me towards him and then rolled on top of me so that I felt his weight gently pressing down on me. The moment his skin touched mine, I started to cry. The tears were so forceful they actually sprang from my eyes like a shooting fountain straight up towards him. I can't do this, I sobbed. I just don't know what you want from me. I'm sorry, baby. I'm sorry. I just I got so mad when I saw you talking to Anish. He made you laugh and you looked so happy and you weren't looking at me. It's like I wasn't there. I couldn't catch my breath between sobs enough to speak. I let him roll me into his arms and fell asleep pressed up against his chest. I couldn't figure out what he needed from me. When he left the next day, he emailed me the poem he had told me he wrote just for me. It was so stunningly magnificent that I began to look at him in a different way. I spent hours looking for it on the internet to see if he had stolen someone else's words, convinced that there was no way I would inspire such magnificence in him. 
Finding nothing, I accepted that his feelings ran deeper than what I saw on the surface. But filling in the gaps on my own had taken a toll on me. Where I was once confident and carefree, I was suddenly unsure and insecure. It wasn't long after that night that we had broken up. He sent me e-cards and forwarded me emails about love lost in the months that we spent apart. Every time I opened my MSN messenger, he sprang up and tried to convince me to give him another chance. When we finally spoke on the phone again, I felt myself melt into his deep voice. He told me things would work out if we gave it another chance. I wasn't confident that after all the heartbreak our relationship had caused everyone else around us that my family would support us getting back together. Though he was against it, I decided we would see each other but not tell anyone we had gotten back together. On New Year's Eve, he drove two hours in a snowstorm just to kiss me at midnight. I was with my family watching the ball drop on TV and had promised him that at the stroke of 12, I would look out at the moon and make a wish for him and he would do the same for me. At midnight, I walked over and moved the curtains and to my surprise, I saw his car roll into our driveway. The hour we spent having coffee at the only pizza place that was still open was blissful. The next four hours I spent fighting with my family about my decision to get back together with him was the opposite. We broke up one more time, but it was short-lived. We started seeing each other again, this time openly, but with the strong disdain of my family looming over us like a sullen cloud. Once he moved to Toronto for work, it was time to make another decision, to stay or to go. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying my podcast, please be sure to subscribe and review it. Feel free to reach out to me via social media. I'm on Instagram, Jasmine underscore Aziz, on Twitter, at Jasmine Aziz, YouTube, yeah, you don't want to miss that, and I'm on Facebook. Or you can email me, jasmine at jasmineaziz.com. Until next time, remember that the best part of life is love. So be sure to open your heart to it, because... Here she comes. I'm just a popcorn dreaming, gonna red and back to butter you up. I'm gonna shiver you, shake and quiver you, shiver you up.